Hey, Mosaic. How are we doing this morning? We good? If we, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Aaron, and uh, we're really pumped that you're here. Uh, and really excited about what we're getting ready to embark on. So it's January, it's our first series of 2017, and we are beginning a journey through the book of Revelation. Cue the ominous music, turn the lights down, red, dark red, hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> it's going to get real in here. Uh, I'm excited for this. I've been stirring on this for, for a long time. Um, and debating on whether or not to do it. <laughs> There's something about this book uh, that gets people fired up and stirred up. Uh, it's, it's a powerful book, but it can be a very divisive book. Um, in the eyes of, of some, uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is the hardest, uh, most confusing, most bizarre, uh, for others, the most scary book uh, in the entire Bible. Um, and it's interesting, as I've been leaking out that we were going to do this over the past few months, I get a lot of different responses. And some people are excited because they want to see where in the world this is going to go. Um, some people, honestly, a lot of people grimaced when I told them, like, oh, you know, which is rooted, definitely rooted to past experiences. And, and if you have not grown up in a cave and you've been at all connected to the evangelical community in the past, oh, 50 years... Um, you've been exposed to a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things. When I shared with, with Evan that I was going to do it, he said, are you serious? It's like, I don't understand you sometimes. <laughs> just not knowing. I had one person I was talking to, and they, when I told them what we were doing, literally just started cussing aloud. Uh, just expletives. Like, just didn't want to go there. Just so many bad experiences. And there were some, it was really interesting, there were some that I talked to, um, not a part of this community, who got really excited. And said things like, oh man, that's so exciting. Isn't it so cool that we get to be the generation that's living in the end of time, you know? And that we can read Revelation and we can see things that not even John understood as he was, you know, seeing this vision. Like, he, he had never seen helicopters and airplanes and bombs and modern warfare and, and all these things. And, and I, I bit my tongue to the best of my ability and said, that's... That's why we have to do this series. Uh, when it comes to the book of Revelation, um, I don't know that there's a book in the Bible that's created more turmoil, uh, more disagreement, and more wild speculation uh, than any other. And I would add uh, that it's also caused more embarrassment um, to those of us who are Christians, for some of us, as well as more damage to our testimony, <laughs> to our witness uh, in an unbelieving world. And in this series, I'm going to, over the next uh, several weeks, I'm also going to be suggesting to you that I don't think there's a book of the Bible that has been more mistreated, uh, more m misinterpreted, and more misunderstood uh, than the book of Revelation. And we all come to this book uh, with various baggage, um, various assumptions, various understandings, depending on your background. Um, but it's very interesting when it comes to this book. And... And I say that because, you know, this is the only book that I've ever run into uh, in my study where what the scholarly world says and what the kind of popular level most churches believe, where there's, there's a biggest disparity between the two. Um, a lot of what we're going to talk about are not just, you know, Aaron sat down under candlelight with the book of Revelation and prayed and out came this series. <laughs> uh, you don't really probably want that. Um, 
honestly, a lot of things we're going to talk about are generally very much agreed upon in the scholarly world, right? And so we're talking about people um, who I greatly respect, people who spend their life poring over ancient literature, understanding um, the world of the Bible, right? The assumptions and experiences that an author brings to the text, what they desired to communicate to their audience, how the original audience would have understood the things that were said, right? The cultural allusions, the biblical things that are being alluded to here and there, right? People, that is their life, which, by the way, sounds so boring. I'm so happy that's not my job, but that is their job. And what we're going to talk about, honestly, a lot of it, there's general agreement in the scholarly world, but for whatever reason, it hasn't like, made its way into, on a popular level, uh, in the evangelical church in the United States. Um, many of the things that, that we have been taught, uh, that continue to be taught on stations like TVN, depending on what time you're on, um, things that are taught at various conferences and communicated in books, are there's a big disparity between that and what's over here in the scholarly world. It's, it's the, the heartbeat, I would suggest, submit to you, the heartbeat of Revelation, the essence of the message of Revelation has been hijacked. And I would assume, if you have a church background, chances are very, very good uh, that you've been misled uh, by no fault of your own. There is just a lot, a lot of it out there. And so I'm excited for the series because I think for some of us, this is going to light you up, right? For some of you who have lived like under this gloom and doom revelation kind of idea, um, I think maybe for the first time in your life, you're going to read this letter with new eyes and, be, and that fear perhaps is going to be replaced by great hope. And that is my, that's my prayer. Uh, I, I really believe that's going to happen. But I also know that for some of us, uh, this is going to be really challenging, it's going to be really hard. And I say that because people get fired up about this book. They do. And, and I think a lot of it is the, because the way that it gets taught is like it's the end-all, be-all, final word. In fact, there, there are circles within Christianity that use the book of Revelation like an interpretive lens to interpret the rest of the Bible rather than Jesus being the interpretive lens through which we interpret the rest of the Bible. Right? So you start messing with that, and all of a sudden the whole Bible feels like it's falling apart. Right, there are some churches that are founded, their core belief, they are founded on a certain interpretation of revelation. They're called cults. Um, maybe that's not fair. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to forgive my cynicism. It's going to come out. It's just going to come out um, and baggage and wounds. But I say all that to say, like, this, people really do get fired up about this. And this can be one of those things that can be tremendously divisive, especially if you grew up in one stream of belief and thought regarding Revelation and end times. And all of a sudden, somebody is calling that to question. Um, and so I just want to kind of prime the pump uh, and warn you a little bit and say on the front end uh, that that's okay. That's okay. Uh, you and I actually don't have to agree. Um, being a part of a community of faith is not an exercise in groupthink. In fact, I don't know that there's anybody in this room that agrees with me on every issue. You guys are wrong about a lot of stuff. Um, but, <laughs> but we can disagree. We really can. And if you get to the end of this and you land in a different place, like that's, that's okay. That's okay. But what I would really challenge and encourage you to do, if that is you, uh, is just to try to approach this with an open mind and an open heart. Uh, truth is, you can't really know with whether you, what you've been sold is hogwash 
uh, if you don't consider anybody else's thoughts and points of view. And, uh, and I also, by the way, I'm gonna, I've had a, several people ask after the first service, I am going to point you to some great, great scholarly resources that have been immensely helpful to me uh, over the years. So all that to say, um, we're going to open up, we're going to dig in in the series, and uh, if you would, uh, let's do it in a gracious way. Is that, is that cool? Is that cool? All right. So, so every, every couple of decades, uh, there's something that seems, there's like a disease that seems to afflict uh, the American church, and my favorite, my favorite phrase for it is the title of this message, and it's called Apocalyptic Fever. Uh, I don't know what it is, but every couple of decades, we get so excited about end times stuff. And it's not like just unique to the church, right? So we ask you the question, what is your favorite end of the world apocalyptic movie? Um, some of you know, I love zombies and I love the genre of film that is the apocalyptic film. I love it, you know, and there's many of them. So a very small handful of them. Uh, these are not all my favorites, but there's some great ones in here, right? Children of Men. Fantastic. Uh, the Book of Eli, Mad Max, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, Wally, I Am Legend, This Is the End, uh, Left Behind, 28 Days Later, Waterworld, World War Z, Reign of Fire, After Earth, Hunger Games, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was really messed up, but I really liked it. Um, <laughs> right? These are just like a tiny, tiny little handful of films. Right? If you hop on Wikipedia and, and search apocalyptic films, there are so many results they have to divide them into decades, like by decade, and there are dozens in every single decade, right? So we are, we are consumed with this stuff. We love this stuff. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, and, and here's the thing. For those of us who are in the church, uh, we're definitely not exempt from this. In fact, I would submit to you that uh, generally the church is every bit of obsessed, if not even more obsessed, uh, with apocalyptic end of the world kinds of things. The difference being... When it comes to film, uh, we understand that that's a fictional genre. Um, it happens to be one of my favorite genres of film, right? But it's fictional. When it comes to the church, uh, that's not the way that we typically approach it, right? We, de we generally attach to what our conversations and what's being taught or talked about or written about as truth. And this creates for us um, some, some real problems. Right? And all of those truths, by the way, the truths, uh, almost all of them are based on somebody's interpretation of the book of Revelation, which is part of why this is so incredibly important. Um, Abbo of Fleury, uh, that's a name, like Aaron of Lincoln. Abbo was a pastor in Paris. He wrote these words uh, in 996, 996 AD. Right? As soon as the number of 1,000 years should come, the Antichrist will come, and not long thereafter, the last judgment will follow. Right? That was a long time ago. He was, he was just sure about that. Right? And all of his certainty came from his interpretation of Revelation. Right? This isn't a new thing. Right? We, we are consumed with this. If, if you are an aspiring author, right, and you want the easiest way to sell a million books, uh, and especially if you're okay with writing to a Christian audience, Write a book about the end times. Call it Four Blood Moons, some obscure reference to the Old Testament uh, revelation. Right? Write it and make sure that you cherry pick all kinds of verses out of Revelation to proof text your ideas. Make it very scary. Make sure you say that the Antichrist is coming soon. The end of the world is coming very soon. People need to be afraid. Market it to Christians. I'm telling you, sell a million books. You want to get rich scheme. Um, 
that's the way to do it, right? We buy this stuff up. Man, when I was growing up, the easiest way to pack the house on a Sunday night at church was to have an end times prophecy conference. Right? You guys remember this? End times prophecy conference where what would happen is you would hire in an expert in end times prophecy, right? And he would, he would come in and, and it would include, he would teach, and it would include all kinds of very confident assertions about modern world events, things that were going on in the world at that time, uh, advancement in technology, rapid moral decline, and all of them tying together in an intricate web to clearly confirm right, who the Antichrist is and the end of the world in our lifetime. Over and over and over again, uh, this, this, <laughs> this was a thing. It continues to be a thing. Just watch TBN uh, at odd hours. It's there. Um, and oftentimes, these conferences, what they, they, what they included was this this elaborate explanations of letters and numbers and names of, of countries and, and world power figures, uh, all of it uh, giving all kinds of crazy speculative rise to who that, the Antichrist is. Right? And back then, so there, throughout decades, what was happening is there were times when the evan- evangelicals were absolutely convinced. They just knew that the ten-headed beast in Revelation, right, was uh, the European Union. You just knew that, you know, and that they had this computer called the Beast, you know, and it had to be the Beast from Revelation. And then they were releasing, you know, barcodes, and that was going to be a part of the mark of the Beast, and it was all going to be a part of this, like, one world government that was going to come, you know, and it was going to be ruled by the Antichrist. And there were decades where evangelicals just knew the Antichrist was Henry Kissinger, right? And then it was, then it was John F. Kennedy. They just knew it was John F. Kennedy. Even after John F. Kennedy had been killed, he was dead. The funeral had happened. There were still evangelicals saying, oh, it's just an elaborate hoax. Oh, he's still there. Oh, he's still there. Right? And then, and then it was, you fast forward, and there's Barack Obama. Right? It was going to be the next Antichrist. Heard that in a number of different places. Right? Missed his window, apparently. You know, unless he's like, I don't know how he's going to pull that off out of office. And, of course, there will be people who say Donald Trump is the Antichrist. And, uh, uh, and if, it, if it's going <laughs> to... Uh, Sorry, don't judge me. But, but I will say, I will say that if if it has to include a one-world government, I just don't see the other nations falling in the line behind Trump. Right? Harmony and teamwork is just not in his wheelhouse. He's got some gifts. That's just not one of them. Um, but all that to say, you know, this is just not a new thing. Uh, and every time it happens, man, do we look foolish? There's one author that, that confidently uh, said this. Desolating earthquakes, sweeping fires, distressing poverty, famines and wars, strange weather patterns, financial instability in many parts of the world, political disruption and widespread immorality which abounds in these last days obviously indicate the return of our Lord Jesus certainly in our lifetime. Right? This is, that's, that's, I hear that all the time. But that's who wrote that. William Miller, 1843. Right, my point is none of this is new. And tragically, in that particular case, thousands of Americans believed him. It's a compelling leader. People trusted him. And so thousands of Americans uh, sold everything that they owned and followed William out onto a hillside outside of town to await Jesus' return. And again, looking really foolish. And in the process, surrendering a really valuable commodity as it relates to being God's witnesses in this world. A little thing called credibility. 
And I don't know exactly how it went down on that hillside, but I imagine there was a lot of excitement, singing worship songs, a lot of hope and expectation. But as minutes turned to hours, turned to days, at some point people started to realize that they had been misled. And for a lot of them, they, faith, their faith never recovered. Right? They didn't walk away from faith. It just died. Right? Any, any potential for passion for Jesus and, and kingdom endeavors was just, was just gone. And unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't stop there. In the 80s, there was a book that came out that sat on the desk of most of the evangelical church, certainly on every pastor's desk, because people in their church made sure it was on his or her desk. And in it, the author uh, confidently claimed that the key date to prophetic history was 1948, which was uh, the year that Israel became a nation. Uh, very significant year, very big thing uh, to become a nation, especially given the history of the people, but he claimed uh, that at that key date, Jesus would most certainly return uh, within a generation, a generation being 40 years from that date. And when that date came and, and went, the author's response was essentially, oops. Uh, and then he adjusted the date to 1967. So now Christians had until 2007 until Jesus returned, allowing him much more time to sell more books, uh, which he did. Right in the 80s, there was also a Christian publication that came out that made a really big splash in the Christian world called 88 Reasons. Uh, and in it uh, <clears throat> includes 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus uh, would return. And the author's reasoning was this, that while we can't know the day and the hour, we can know the year and the month. And a lot of people, a lot of people bought it. The guy made a lot of money. And there were Christians that, that made provisions for their dog so that when they were raptured, Fido would be okay. Um, and <laughs> there were Christians that left elaborate long voicemails on their answering machine to instruct their unbelieving friends as to what has happened, that they had been raptured, uh, that they were now with Jesus partying in heaven, uh, and with instructions on how to pray the sinner's prayer and survive the tribulation. Uh, this is a real thing. This actually happened. And, uh, you know, 1988 came and went. And uh, the author published a new book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. Uh, that one didn't sell as many copies. Uh, some of you, if you're, if you're old enough, remember all the doomsday predictions around the year 2000. Remember Y2K? Oh, man. Oh, man. Some people made some money on, on Y2K doomsday predictions. Books, articles, conferences, you name it. It's all over the place. I'll, I remember uh, December 31st, 1999, I was at my buddy Ryan's house. We were partying, and uh, we played Prince so much that night. All right, 1999. That was the night for that song, right? Uh, and and we, were, we were partying, and we watched that ball drop, you know, and we're all ready. It's like five, four, three, two. One, raise the glass, brace for impact. <laughs> nothing happens, right? Absolutely nothing happens. Everything's just fine. There was a Christian group uh, that, that year that asked the Israeli government for permission to film the Eastern Gate so they could capture on video Jesus' return. Like, that's a real thing. Like, I don't know what they thought they were going to do with that video. Uh, I don't know. Pawn it off in heaven. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the plan was there, but that was a real thing. One writer... 
uh, claimed that the building blocks for the new temple in Jerusalem, which some people believe has to be rebuilt before Jesus returns, that the temple blocks have been already been chiseled and numbered and are being stored in the basements of Kmarts all across America. This is real, friends. People write this stuff, and people buy this stuff. Uh, and I did read last month on Business Insider that Kmart's closing like 100 stores this year. So if you see unmarked trucks show up in the middle of the night and heading towards Jerusalem, get ready, because this guy might be right. Uh, but he's probably not. So, so here's, here's the problem with all this. Here's why I bring this up. The problem with all these predictions and, and speculations is uh, they're all wrong. And yet we keep doing it. And every time we do it, we look foolish and we lose credibility. Um, our ideas, our movement, Jesus loses credibility uh, as we give our time and attention to these things. Um, Christians just tend to love this stuff. And, and we're a bit obsessed. And so books come out like the Left Behind series. Uh, which I haven't read, but I've heard they're compelling and entertaining, and that's fine. But we forget what area of the bookstore in which we buy them, which is the fiction section. Uh, and if your bookstore put them in the nonfiction section, you need to move those books and never shop there again. Um, but they're fiction. And, and I think, even though we might not consciously think this, I think, and it's, it's not, this is not an unfair assumption, I think sometimes we assume that because a Christian has written them and they've been published and sold millions of copies by a Christian publisher, that certainly there must be a lot of truth in them. Right? Certainly the foundation on which like, these ideas and events and characters are being placed have to be legitimate and true. And the problem is that they're not. They're not. Um, I didn't watch the films I've heard they're not so good. Is that fair? Is that true? The Left Behind films? Um, I've heard they're pretty awful. Uh, and, and we might watch them and many of us be able to agree that they're, they're bad. But because of, because of what some of us have been taught about the book of Revelation by very compelling people, very influential people, um, very persuasive people, I think for many of us, we don't possess the ability to read the Left Behind series, for example, and judge that not only that the theology is just as bad as the art form. <clears throat> and that's a problem. Uh, that's, that's a really big problem. All these, all these speculations and wild predictions, every single one of them are based on somebody's interpretation of Revelation, which is what makes us so incredibly important. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He said, Though St. John, who wrote, the, wrote Revelation, though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's, so, it's so true. Um, if you've been swimming in evangelicalism, I, I can't say this enough times, and Bill wanted me to make sure I did. Uh, buying that stuff doesn't make you foolish. Uh, it doesn't make you dumb. Um, it doesn't make you uneducated. Most of what is presented falls into this, this camp. There's a lot of money to be made, and that's part of it. 
There's a lot of money to be made. But the other part of it is, again, there's this big divorce between what has been perpetuated now for generations. We're talking at least 50 years in the church. And what the scholarly community is saying is true of the literature. You know, and so for many of us, and I had to, I had to walk this journey. For many of us, we need to walk this journey. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called uh, Reversed Thunder. It's on the book of Revelation. Uh, it's really good, especially if, like, you're a creative type, an artist. Um, Eugene Peterson is not only a scholar, he is a poet and takes language very, very seriously, and it's just a great read. But he talks about this need that we all have for wise guides. He says we need intelligent and wise guides, guides to help us walk through this material. And the problem is there's just not always, they're just not always easy to find. The truth is it's a lot easier for you to find junk, right? And I'm I'm venturing to guess if you walk into the Christian bookstore over here on 56th Street, most of what you're going to find in the book of Revelation, uh, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, is probably going to fall into this particular interpretive lens because it's that widespread. Uh, And people want to buy generally stuff that they already agree with. That's the hard truth. Right, big struggle for me for a long time was that. And it's the reason that I avoided the book of Revelation for a long time. Didn't make sense to me. Seemed bizarre and ridiculous. And I need things that make sense uh, from an intelligent level and not just be speculation uh, and creative whatever. Guesses. But I'm hugely thankful for some of the wise guides that I have found. And just so you know, uh, we don't have it today, but we are going to make a list of uh, resources, several books that are immensely helpful as you dig in for yourself, but I'm hugely thankful to guys like Eugene Peterson, uh, guys like Dave Johnson, uh, to whom uh, I have a lot to thank for this morning, uh, Greg Boyd, um, I am missing a bunch of them, I don't have them all here, N.T. Wright, of course, Michael J. Gorman, Larry Howier, and others uh, that we will share, uh, but we all need them, and so in this series, I'm going to do my best uh, to guide us through this, but just so you know, there are men and women out there much smarter than me that I'm drawing from. So if you get mad, you can blame them. (laughs) Reading on Eugene Peterson, we need intelligent and wise guides who will accompany us through the often daunting terrain of St. John's text without serious mishap. Unfortunately, while there are wise teachers available, they often get missed because there are so many, many more around who are simply foolish and who, like pushy guides at a tourist site, Try to get us to hire them to tell us about all the furniture in heaven and the temperature of hell, the number of beasts and the calendar of doomsday. All right, so let me just say this on the front end, right? The book of Revelation, inspired by the Spirit, written by John, about Jesus, is not primarily about, it's not, it's not written to be read like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Where you've got all these pieces hidden in the text, you know, and in this Tom Hanks movie kind of a way, Nicolas Cage kind of way, if you just get all of them to line up, voila, you get to see exactly how things are. Right? That's not the way it's written. It's not written to be like a crossword puzzle, you know, with hidden words here and there. If you just line them up just right, you see the real message. It's not even written to be like a crystal ball through which Christians peer into the future about all of the things that are going to take place and how it's going to roll out. That's not what it's about. The book of Revelation is a letter from a pastor to a group of seven churches who are living under the authority uh, and they are suffering under the authority of Rome. 
Many of them have watched friends and family members be killed for their faith. They're about to see a lot more die. Right? Some of these people were there for Pentecost, meaning they saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They saw, they saw the explosion of the early church. They saw person after person come to Christ. Lives radically transformed from every background of faith uh, and, and gender and socioeconomic status and race that you can imagine. Everything seems so incredibly hopeful. Like, who could go back to this? Can you believe this? We get to be a part of this. But now, it does not look like Jesus is king. Now it looks like uh, Caesar is king. Right? And it does not look like the kingdom of God is anywhere on earth. It looks like the kingdom of Rome does pretty much whatever they want. Right? They feel hopeless. They are afraid. They are wondering, beginning to question whether their faith was real because they're suffering. And he's writing to them. Right? And the whole point of the letter is to give them hope. How it is right now is not the way it's always going to be. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus will return. In the end, he wins. And whether we die in this lifetime or not, we will stand with him. Right? When you read the book of Revelation through that lens, we're going to talk about more about that next week. But when you do, it completely changes the meaning from when you're reading it like a jigsaw puzzle or a crystal ball. Right? So we got we to gotta do that. So that said, as we walk through, we're looking again, for wise guys, right? So you're in church. So if I had to ask you, who's somebody in the scriptures that maybe would be a wise guide for us to lead us through? Who comes to mind? Some might call him, I don't know, wonderful counselor, good shepherd. Jesus, yes! Nailed it! That took like two minutes in the first gathering. It reminds me of like the Sunday school uh, story, you know, when the Sunday school teacher turns to the kids and like, hey, kids, uh, what's brown and furry and lives in trees and hides nuts for the winter? And it's just dead silent. You know, finally one kid is like, well, I want to say squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus. Um, <laughs> Jesus is always a good guess. You're in church. Jesus, absolutely. Right? Author and perfecter of our faith. Good shepherd. Wonderful counselor. Right? The one who we are following, and by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit, being transformed to become uh, more like Right? Jesus was very clear on, on numerous occasions. One of the things that he said over and over again is that I am coming back. Right? I am coming back in power and glory. Uh, Paul called this our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope right? that Jesus will return, that this world will not always be the way that it is, that the kingdom of God will fully come, that death and suffering and disease and violence will be a thing of the past. He says, I'm coming. It's our blessed hope. But, you know, on a side note, when I, when I think about the way that the Re- book of Revelation is typically treated in churches with all the gloom and the doom and the fear, none of it strikes me as hopeful at all. Uh, certainly not blessed hope, right? And so one of my prayers for us in this series and for you is that, man, you would get a taste of that blessed hope over the next two months. But Jesus, when he's talking about this return, about his own return, uh, this is what he said, Matthew 24, 36. About that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, not even the Son, but only the Father alone. In Acts 1, 7, he says, indeed, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
And so in Acts 1.8, he continues, he says, here's what I want you to do, right? I don't want you to spend another minute trying to piece together the pieces of how I'm going to come back and when I'm going to come back and, and all these different things. Instead, you know, he says, Mark 13.32, but concerning that day and hour, listen, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So he says, here's what you need to do, verse 33. So be on your guard and stay alert. For you do not know, in case you haven't got that yet, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Other translations say, so stay awake. So what does it mean to stay awake, to be ready, to be alert? It means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Right? Stay awake, be alert, be ready. Right? Don't waste your life. He says, I'm coming back, and you've got this very short, temporary time in which I've entrusted you with a few things. So for the love of me, <laughs> don't spend your life working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and then getting home and sitting in front of the television every single night doing nothing, playing video games, watching Netflix. You've got more to be about. Right? Be ready, be awake, stay alert. Don't settle into apathy. Right? Be ready, stay awake, be alert. Right, it means lean in, right? Be alive to God, right? Be about the business of the Father, right? Giving your life to loving one another, loving this world, loving me, being marked first and foremost by love. Be ready, stay awake, be alert. And to those of you who are suffering, suffering and are, who are beat up and broken down and questioning whether this is legit and whether I'm coming, I am coming, but be ready. So be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. You don't know, and neither does your pastor, and neither does the guy selling books, right, or the face on TBN, right, or the person being featured as the expert at the End Times Prophecy Conference. He doesn't know, she doesn't know, right? So I think if God has a word for us this morning, it's like, so it's this, it's, so Mosaic, here's the deal, right? I don't need you on the when and where committee. Right, please stop. Don't give one more minute of your time to trying to predict when and where and how I will come. Right, I want you to be a people, a community in your generation that takes very seriously my call to love God and to love people and to be about the business of the kingdom right here, right now. And about my return, just chill out on the end of the world. When is Jesus coming back stuff? Right? My father wants it to be a surprise. And it will be a surprise, by the way. You know that, right? Like when Jesus says, look, nobody knows. Angels don't know. I don't know. It means it's going to be a surprise, which tells me, right, every time you see an expert telling us this is when it's going to happen, you can be sure that's exactly when it's not going to happen. Right? The dates that people predict are the least likely dates that Jesus is actually going to come back because we're told uh, it's going to be a surprise. It's just just cracks me up. The angels don't know. Me, Jesus, don't know. Uh, only the Father knows. But hey, George figured it out. No. Right? So like once and for all, we can just be done. Like just done. Just do this. Be free of it. Right? It's, not to be, it's not to be our focus. Chill out. Be faithful. So, so here's the thing. As we close, there's essentially three responses to the book of Revelation that I see Christians do a lot. And, and I really want for us as a community, as we begin this journey, to avoid all three of these. Um, the first one is obsession, which we've, we've talked a bit about. 
Uh, some people get absolutely obsessed with this. Uh, it's just about the only book of the Bible that they read. Uh, when it comes to extra bu- biblical stuff that they read, other books, most of it's about end times and revelation. Uh, most of them stubbornly refuse to read uh, the book of Revelation on their own terms, right? Don't read books that disagree with their position. Uh, some people have called them reveleptics, uh, which is a disease we need to pray for them, uh, that they can heal and be free of that um, by God's grace. Uh, but obsession is not the goal, all right? Uh, I don't want to see us become obsessed with this. And, and if this has been part of your story, again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun, and, and I'm so cynical, and please forgive me. Uh, but there, there is a way out, and I don't think obsession is where God desires for us to land. Um, number two is the second one, and this is kind of where I was for a long time, and that's avoidance. Just avoiding the book of Revelation. And let's be honest, that is the easiest thing to do. Right? If it's as divisive as I've, I've suggested that it is, if there's as many different opinions and strong opinions at that on what this book is about, when Jesus comes back, and tribulation, and blah, 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 um, then the easiest thing for us would be just not to go there. Right? But we're going to go there. Right? Because we're told. Right, we're told that every chunk of the sacred scripture is profitable for us. Right, and regarding Revelation, right, Revelation says, blessed is the person who hears these words. Right, and so we're going to lean in, uh, and we're going to lean in graciously. Right? graciously. And then the last one, thirdly, uh, is division. Um, lots and lots of, of division. Uh, you're going to hear some, some words. There's a lot of big words that get attached to Revelation. I'm going to try my best not to use them. Uh, you know, but tribulation, uh, you know, is one, and you got premillennial and amillennial and postmillennial views, and people fight about those. Um, I'm of the persuasion, uh, I call myself a panmillennialist, uh, which means I just believe when Jesus comes back, it's all going to pan out, uh, and I don't need, really need to figure out any more than that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but people get fired up about this stuff, and, and in fact, there was a few years ago, there was a church down in the south that was doing a series to Revelation, one of the people in the church uh, did not like what the pastor was saying about the book, and so he got up and shot him in the middle of the church. Just shot him, uh, which my first thought was like only in the South. It had to be Texas, right? Um, uh, my second thought was, uh, okay, that we just need to stay on the front end. Like that's off limits, all right? That's <laughs> that's, that's out of bounds. Uh, if you are a carrier of a firearm, and especially if you tend to love the Book of Revelation, uh, please leave your firearm at home. Um, in all seriousness, seriousness though, um, on the other side of uh, the election uh, this last year, and in spite of what social media might lead you to believe, I do truly believe that a people uh, can journey together and challenge one another and even disagree with one another in a way that is candid but also uh, loving and respectful. Uh, and so, as we do this, uh, we're not going to obsess over it. We're also not going to avoid it. And my challenge to us is also to make the commitment that this is not something we're going to divide over. Uh, because that's just not who we are. So, that sound cool? You guys game for that? All right. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for this community. I thank you that uh, I know the hearts of, of this people that you've brought together and that there are a lot of things, a lot of conversations and issues that we've tackled together uh, over the past several years 
and some of them very, very hard, very controversial issues, but we have sought to do it candidly, um, firmly, but also lovingly and graciously. And I thank you for that. And I know that not everybody gets to enjoy being a part of a community like that, so thank you. Lord God, I ask for your leading, that you would be our wise guide as we process through this book over the next couple months. Lord God, I ask that you would make this book come alive to us, your words, in ways that maybe that's never come alive to us before, at least not in this particular part of your scriptures. Lord God, I ask that for those of us who have been plagued by fear regarding this book and what's going to happen, that this would be a transformational journey, that you would free and liberate us from fear because perfect love drives out fear. Fear is not uh, to be where we land because you are king. And Lord God, as we begin to dig into what you might have for us, Lord, I ask that you would give us open hearts and open minds. And for some of us that have been taught, perhaps by very persuasive, eloquent leaders, something that perhaps is not representative of what will be suggested and submitted during the series, Lord, I just ask for open hearts and open minds. And on the other side of this, Lord, just for grace, for grace uh, for one another as your body. And so, Lord, we commit this journey to you. And I ask that you would seal this on our hearts. And we pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen.